Let us begin this evening in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be hopping all over the place this evening as we are making further preparations. We're preparing our hearts and minds for our workshop coming up beginning this Friday at 6 o'clock. And let's begin this evening by noticing or at least reminding ourselves of an important concept concerning the church, the church of our Lord. Ephesians 1 and 20 speaks of God's power that he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.21 He set Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The first factor I want us to consider is the body factor. The body factor. The church is the body of Christ. We speak of this when we are speaking about being saved from our sins. When we recognize that we are sinners and we turn to Christ who has all authority uh, for forgiveness of our sins, um, we read about his body, the church. If you flip over to Ephesians 5 and 23, you notice that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And so when Jesus saves us from our sins, then we are part of his body, the church. Passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 speak of being baptized into that one body, the body of Christ, the church. And so when we repent of our sins based on our faith in Christ, what he has done for us on the cross, when we repent of our sins, we turn from sin, we turn from all that the devil offers in this world, we turn from that, we make that good confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and we're baptized, we're immersed in water for the remission of sins, we contact the blood of Jesus, and then the Lord adds us to that body, we're baptized into that, that body. So, we think of the the body factor in that sense, but it has, there's more to it than that. Notice that here in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it says, the church is the body of Christ that fills all in all. The church is the body through which Christ works in Acts today. As members of that body, as being Christians, we are now, we are now Christ, we are His, we are His hands, we are His feet, we are His mouth, we are His lips, we are His mind, we are His heart, we're His agents on earth. 
Christ now works through us. We, we are the body of Christ that fills all in all. We are filling up the purpose of Christ being in the body of Christ. Okay. It makes perfect sense when you think about Jesus being the head of the body. The body does what the head does. Whatever the head decides is going to be done, then the body fulfills that. Okay. Jesus has decided what's to be done. Okay. And we as his body, we fulfill that. This is where soul winning comes in. The purpose of Jesus is Luke 19 verse 10, stated in Luke 19 verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19 verse 10. So that's the mission of the head. Whatever the mission of the head is, automatically becomes the mission of the body. See. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Let me ask you about this. Colossians 1 and 24. Paul sharing some personal remarks with us. He's writing to the church in Colossae, of course. Colossians 1, 24. This is weird. Just to listen to Paul speak. But we will understand it. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. That's weird, isn't it? How many, time, how many people walk around saying that? I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Notice what he says. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. That is the church. So the church is his body there. Okay. Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now how is it that there would be anything lacking? We don't, we don't think of it. That's why I say this is, kind of sounds strange. We don't think of Christ doing anything and then after that something lacking. Something's missing. Okay. How is it that Paul is saying, I'm filling up in my afflictions. Paul says in my afflictions and my sufferings, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So how is it that Paul is saying this? All right. I believe this very clearly connects to this concept of the church being the body of Christ. Okay. People will not receive the blessings of the sufferings of Jesus unless we take it to them. They will not be able to have the blessings of Jesus on the cross until the body of Christ takes them the plan of Christ for which to be saved. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, Jesus did his work on the cross. He says, we must now step in and do our part. And if it means, as in Paul's case, if it means suffering, okay. If it means afflictions, okay. Paul says, I'm going to rejoice in that. Whatever it takes, I'm going to rejoice in that because that is part of being the church, the body. So the church fulfills what Christ started on earth. Does that make sense to you? What do you think, Larry? 
Nod your head. He wasn't even with me, was he? He can't hear me. We've got to do something about that. Does that make sense to you? The body, the body is, what are you saying? We're in this class together. If you're going to say something, don't whisper it to your husband. Okay. So the concept there is what we're getting. And it prepares us for things like a soul winning worship. It prepares us to be thinking about this, not just one weekend, not just one month, but all the, this is the very focus of, of, of who we are and what we're to be about. So this body of Christ um, idea, any, any comments you'd like to make about it? This was a uh, conversation that uh, Brother Earl Richardson, Richardson, and I, Richardson and I had a lot of times. And we would go different places. He would, he, he would say, uh, this is one of his favorite uh, passages, favorite ideas in the Bible, to think about the body being the fullness of, of Christ. Right. Now, a second factor. Turn over to Second um, Corinthians uh, chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine. This is the faith factor. There's the body factor in this. I tell you what, let's start in 2 Corinthians 3, and then we're going to jump to chapter 9. It doesn't matter. Your brain is going to get this, no problem, but um, let's start in chapter 3. We were here just a few weeks ago talking about we are ministers of the new covenant. But notice with me in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Paul says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ. And see, this is what we need. We need confidence if we're going to be sharing the gospel with others. This is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. We are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. From God. It rightly so when we are inviting someone to come and enjoy salvation in Christ, we urge people not to follow the commandments of men. Do not follow the ways of men. Okay. Let's just simply follow Christ. That leads us uh, to his path. This leads us to uh, salvation. But that principle doesn't stop after we become Christians. It's a continuous principle as we uh, carry out his will. Our sufficiency okay, doesn't come from us. Our, our, our success or our ability to, um, to relate the Word of God, it, it comes from God. It comes from, we, so I get the idea of the faith factor. And let's remember, we're, we are relying on God. Like 1 Corinthians 3, we mentioned uh, Sunday, uh, Paul said, I planted an Apollos water, but God gave the increase so we're doing our part, but we're relying on God. Our sufficiency doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from, from God. Now let's jump over to 
uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and focusing on the importance of faith as we share the gospel. 2 Corinthians uh, 9, let's start in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. This is a powerful verse about faith. It calls upon us to believe. To believe. Notice what what Paul is saying. Notice what God is saying to us. And think of seed here. Think of seed being the, the gospel itself. Okay. He, that pli- he, he who supplies the seed for the sower will both supply and multiply your seed for sowing. This is a guarantee, it's a promise from God that if we earnestly seek to share His Word, then He's going to give us more and more opportunity. He's going to be with us in that that effort. But he's going to give us, he's going to multiply our opportunities as uh, that takes place. He's going to supply and multiply our opportunities. It's a wonderful promise. I remember Brother Maynard talking about a situation, I believe it was him personally, it was either him or a friend, and he went into a home and he was sitting at the kitchen table and he was studying uh, with the man of the house who had expressed interest in learning more. But um, the lady of the house uh, just was not interested, or at least she said she was not interested. So he said, fine, you know, uh, we'll just stay here. But now, the lady of the house was in the next room, and she was taking notes on everything that they were discussing at the kitchen table. And... That is sort of the, the guarantee. We never know by our efforts who we might be able to. We may, we may share the gospel with someone and that doesn't work out. But in sharing the gospel with that someone, maybe somebody else gets the idea that we're willing to study and they pick up on that and we have an opportunity with someone else. But in that case, he was able to baptize uh, both of them. But look at the promise of God. He who gives you the seed for sowing will both supply and multiply your seed for sowing so that you may increase uh, your harvest of righteousness. There's an old saying that goes like this. Where God guides, He provides. He's guiding us into this type of work. He will provide, if we're willing... And we're putting forth the effort. He will provide for us the people we need to teach. And he'll give us ample opportunities. And so it's it's there for the taking. Like Jesus said over in John 4, uh, 35, to his disciples, he says, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields. They're wide already in the harvest. The people are out there, and we just have to, we have to get to them. We have to ask them. We have to... We have to implore them. We have to you know, speak to them and encourage them and do all that we can. There are honest hearts out there and God promises that if we put forth the effort then He will follow up and uh, make sure we have the opportunity. He will multiply our opportunities 
to keep doing the sowing of the seed. Okay. The problem is, we don't believe in the power of the seed. That's the problem. We don't really believe that this works. We don't really believe that there are people out there who are willing to listen and take it in and obey. That We don't really believe there are people interested. We don't really believe that God is watching and he's involved and that his gospel, the seed, is powerful. Okay. And so that's, that's where the conflict is between us and God. Take your Bibles, go back with me if you don't mind, to Isaiah, Old Testament, Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Your ways my ways declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and, and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it to bring forth and to sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, so, notice this, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but rather it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. Now you don't get much better guarantees than this. Make sure you're writing down 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 along with Isaiah 55 and verses 10 and 11. God's word just does not come back without accomplishing what it is sent out to do. Our job is to sow the seed and then have faith as we sow it. And it will get to an, an honest heart. Now go back with me to Second Corinthians uh, 8, rather Second Corinthians 9, same chapter. Second Corinthians uh, 9. And notice another aspect of this faith factor As we sow, he says we need to sow in a bountiful way. Now I know Paul is talking about, he's encouraging them to give more of their money. Okay. But that is not a separate issue from sowing the seed of the gospel. Why do you think he wants them to give more money? What's his, what's his ultimate goal here? Notice that we just read it in verse 10. So you may increase a harvest of righteousness, not a harvest of grain, not a harvest... Of, of cotton, not a harvest of, of, of purple coral, uh, purple beans, not a harvest of carrots. He's done a harvest of righteousness. Okay. The increase of their giving of their money would increase their ability to sow the seed of the gospel. Right. So he says we need to sow in a bountiful way. Right. So let's just read what he says. Second Corinthians uh, 9 verse 6. So many have, have read this context and say, well, uh, God promised me personal wealth here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a harvest of righteousness. Okay. It takes money to sow the seed of the gospel. And so he say we need to um, 
so in a bountiful way. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. I'm reading out the English Standard Version uh, this evening. Notice verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows in a sparing, sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not in a reluctant or, or a way that's under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, notice this, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is another key verse to our faith. Both verse 8 and verse 10. Okay, let those words sink into your, to your mind. All right? Let's read it again. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me ask you this. Do you think that we have everything that we need to take the gospel to our community and to all the world? Do you think we have everyone and everything we need to take the gospel to our community, to our neighborhoods, and to the whole world? Do we have what we need? We, we have everything we need. We have everything we need to reach our community, reach into our neighborhoods, and reach around the world. We don't have to go out and find anybody else. The people sitting here are the people God has charged with this duty. And he promises here. He promises us. This is what he said. God is making all grace abound toward us. He's going to make sure that we have what we need. We put forth the effort in sowing, and he's going to back it up. He's going to, give us, he's going to bless it, and he's going to give us more opportunity uh, to do it. He's going to make sure we have the funds uh, to do it. At least that's the way I read this. What do you think, Brother Larry? This being too simple or pretty close? Right on. Okay. So there is a faith factor involved. That's, that's all I was saying. There's, there's the factor of the body, that concept, and then there's the concept of faith. Our faith in God and what he promises is key to everything else that we, that we do. It's where, it's where the conflict is between us and God oftentimes. Notice he says, we must sow in a bountiful way. Hold your place here and go back to Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes 11. Chapter 11. And the wise man's going to talk about sowing generally in a general way. Verse 6, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, 
He's saying a person who is really serious about growing things will be sowing his seed all the time, not just one time, but you know, in the morning, in the evening, during the day. Just keep on. You don't know when that seed's going to take root and bring something that is going to be prosperous. We we don't know that, okay? especially in the spiritual realm. We don't know when the gospel is going to to uh, get into somebody's heart and begin to flourish. We we can't know that. We can't know that. We must sow in a bountiful way. We we can't ever be led into that that trap of hey this is this is enough. Okay, trying to do just enough. Right. This, how how can you ever know if this is enough? How could we ever say, well, that's enough? Okay. Well, I sent him a text. Okay. How do we know that's enough? We don't. So in a bountiful way. Well, I, I made a phone call. I invited him to church. Okay. I sent them a bulletin. I, I gave them some material. Okay. How can we know on this side? See, we don't have this that kind of knowledge. How do we know? We don't know. Since we don't know, we, we've got to, not sparingly, but in a bountiful way, we've got to keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing, and doing all that we can, both morning and night, and during the week. And As Paul was um, encouraging Timothy over in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, all the time. In season, out of season, and just uh, so in a bountiful way. If we are going to make mistakes, and we are, let us err on the side of generosity. Let us be doing too much. Let us not be just trying to do enough. Let's be doing too much. Let's give too much. Let's serve too much. Let's sow the seed too much. Let's do, let's do in, a, in a bountiful way God's work. I think that's what he would be calling on us to do. So the faith factor is very, very important here, as you can see. Okay. Now, the third factor I'd like to mention is uh, the idea of being gentle. Over in 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul said, The servant of the Lord must not strive. Notice that, must not strive. When we share the word, we are not trying to do this in an argumentative way. We do not strive, but we are gentle. We are gentle. Brother Rob will make a lot of points on this idea. And so we're just preparing ourselves for this workshop. It is so... It's almost part of our nature just to tell somebody something. Just tell them. We have knowledge. They do not. So I won't tell them. Tell them what they're missing. Okay. That is a prime mistake that we make. Did you, when you were growing up in school, did you have a time called show and tell? Did you have a well, every Friday was our show and tell. Everybody got to bring something, stand up in front of the classroom, and you just showed it and you told about it. Okay. Well, for us, we've got to do a lot more showing than telling. Okay. We've got to turn over into Scripture and show so that they can see it for themselves. That's the idea. 
A good example of that, of course, is in Acts 8 when, when Philip came in, uh, into the uh, company of, of the eunuch. The eunuch was already reading, wasn't he? And so he started right there with that scripture, showing him, showing him not only that scripture but others, and leading him to faith in Christ, so, so to the point where the eunuch himself asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? But he showed him. We don't need to have drive-by conversations. Where you stop somewhere and you talk about religion and you say, well, this is how it ought to be. This is the way it is. This is what the good book says. And then you're off again. And you, well, we've, what have we done? We've done nothing. That person you just talked to doesn't know a thing more about the gospel than, than he did before you talked to him. It's just a drive-by conversation. Okay. It, has, it has to be one-on-one and you have to sit down with an open Bible. And we talked about that the other day with Aquila and Priscilla, how they took aside Apollos and just had a personal Bible study with him. Because he was was lacking knowledge. He knew up to the baptism of John in regard to Jesus Messiah, but he had not been filled in on the rest of the story. They took him aside. Turn over with me to John chapter 4 for just one second. You've seen this before. Make sure you have it marked in your Bible. John chapter 4, regard to the woman at Samaria, of Samaria, at Jacob's well. She learned about Jesus, and she went and told um, her, uh, her neighbors about it. Went back to her village and told people about this. Uh, Luke, um, John 4, 41. Many believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That is kind of another, that's another verse that kind of summarizes and captures what we're after. Okay. We, don't take my word for it. Okay. And that's one of the things you ought to say often as you are sitting down with someone. We're not here... For you to take my word for it. I am nothing. You are nothing. Okay. It's the way it is. Before God we are nothing. Look at his word. Okay. If it does not. Is it, if it's not taught in this New Testament. I don't want you to even consider it. Okay. See for yourself. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter uh, 3 for just a second. Ephesians uh, 3. Notice Paul's goal here. In reference to this, Ephesians 3, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to start in verse 7. Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister, Paul said, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. To bring to light, or my American Standard Version says, to make all men see what God's plan is. I like that a little bit better. To make all men see. 
we don't, if people do not see it for themselves, they don't really have a faith in God. They have, if they believe and obey because of what you say, or what somebody else says, or what, what Grandpa said, or what my husband said, or my wife said, then that's not faith. That's, that's just getting along. They have, to be, they have to see it for themselves. Okay. That's the most gentle way of doing it. Okay. So, um, we're going to be making a lot of emphasis on that this weekend about showing uh, verses and not, not just telling someone. Telling someone. Because it goes in one ear and out the other. Okay. We've got to find a gentle way. Jesus was incredible. How did he do it? He was, he was incredible at respecting people's dignity without minimizing their sin. You remember the occasion in John 8 when the woman was brought in, caught in the very act of adultery? How did that go? How did that go, Paul? When she was brought in the very act of adultery. How did Jesus handle that? Let him that's without sin cast the first stone because they demanded that she be stoned. That's what the old law said. She's caught in the very act here. What do you say, Jesus? And then he was able to speak right to their heart. He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, those who held the stones just laid them down and went out. And then what was the conversation between him and the woman? Go and send them more. Yeah. And Jesus said to her, where are, where are, where are all your accusers? Does, does any man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and send them more. And somehow or another, we have to capture that ability, that spirit of being able to respect someone's dignity because everyone... Even that woman caught in the very act of adultery is made in the image of God. Just that ideal causes us to give them a lot of love and respect and attention. And it also causes us to want to help them. Just the fact that they're made in the image of God. So how do do we do it without minimizing the sin? Like, how do you show someone acceptance without approval? How do you show someone that you care without condoning their sin? We follow the example of Jesus. He was often uh, condemned and criticized for associating with sinners. But Jesus was giving them the respect because he, he, that's what they needed. They needed love and grace and respect if they were going to be able to overcome their sin. And we have to capture that as well. So being gentle, showing, showing and not telling is being gentle. Okay. Respecting someone's dignity without minimizing their sin is also being gentle. Okay. So that's the idea, being, being gentle. Think about faith and gentleness together in prayer. Do you think prayer is an important part of soul winning?
What do you think, Ken? All right. How, how is prayer involved in reaching out to a soul? What do you think, Rex? How is prayer involved in reaching out to a, a lost soul? You want to you want God's help as you speak, as you talk. Does the Bible teach that we are to pray for all men? Does it teach that? Yes, in First Timothy two, one through four, where it says Paul said, I would have that supplications and prayers be made for all men. He says that first, and then he talks about those in authority, for kings and so forth. But the first thing he says is, pray for all men. That would include those who are lost. <coughs> we pray for those that are lost. How much time do you spend praying for those that are lost? Those that you know they're not in Christ. Jesus even teaches us to pray for our enemies, doesn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount? So without doubt, we ought to be praying for the lost. Okay, how else is prayer involved other than just praying for those who are lost? How else is prayer involved in soul winning? Put you on the same level. Put you on the same level? You pray for Okay. Okay. Right. The second part about prayer in, in soul winning is you're praying for opportunities. Okay. And this is where you get nervous in prayer. Okay. Do you believe God's listening to your prayers? Do you believe that God can act when you pray? Do you believe He wants to act when you pray? Do you think it's a good thing to pray to God, Lord, lead me to some soul today? It's kind of a nervous thing because he's probably going to get busy and bring a soul to you really fast. So we pray for those who are lost, but we also pray for opportunities. Let's follow that up with a scripture here. Colossians chapter 4. Notice Paul's words here. Colossians 4 beginning in verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul's doing two things there. He's saying, pray that we have an opportunity to speak. And he says, when I speak, help, pray for me that I'll make it clear. All right, so three ways prayer is involved here. Pray for those who are lost, that they may find the truth. Secondly, pray that opportunities may be given to you to be able to speak the truth to somebody who's lost. Okay? Pray that prayer. I dare you to pray that prayer. And then thirdly, pray for those that you know of who are speaking the truth to those who are lost, that they may make it clear. So prayer is a big part. So thinking about the church is the body, that concept forces us out into the world. Think about as we go into the world, we've got to have faith. And as we have faith, we've got to pray. 
And then as we go into the world, we've got to be gentle. The best way to be gentle is, is to do what God says to do. Take it off of you and just open up the Word. Here it is. Show, you know, in a nice way. Show, here it is. Here's what, here's what God says about that. Here's what God says about this. And then be willing to listen and be compassionate. And being willing to even be criticized because when you are around those who are lost, somebody's going to criticize you for hanging around those who are lost. But that's okay because we know that's what we've got to be doing. All right, appreciate you working through these uh, factors uh, with me. We are praying for our workshop. Uh, Rob's going to come and do a much better job at motivating us and sharing these concepts with you than than what I can do. You will not be disappointed uh, this weekend. Whatever you can do, whether one session or three or two, whatever you can do, you will not be uh, disappointed. We'll take a few minutes break.